Good morning. Uh, it's really good to be here. Um, it looks like there's a couple of new faces. Uh, if it's your first time here, we're really, really glad that you're here. And uh, it's actually a great time to be here so that you can um, not be overwhelmed by the sheer size of our church. So um, long-time Cornerstoners, let's be especially welcome today and, and look for any uh, unfamiliar face and just care uh, for anyone who's, who's in here. <clears throat> uh, this... This morning, the prayer ministry, uh, they were praying for me, and uh, if you came here expecting to leave the same person you were, like you came on a really bad Sunday, uh, they, they have prayed for you, they prayed for me, and um, just, there's something in me that's really longing for expecting more out of what God can do, will do, is able to do during our time here, and He cares for you much more than you could possibly understand. And on that note, my name is Hojin. <laughs> I'm on staff here. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself. Um, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word today. And just to share a little bit about me, I'm turning 30 this year. And I know, I know, I look much younger. Um, I'm turning 30 this year. And a, about a year and a half ago, uh, my college friends who visited Boston, we got together for a potluck dinner, and we were trying to, we went around and shared what we wanted to accomplish before we turned 30. One friend said he wanted to meet Michael Jordan. He's from Chicago, so he wanted to meet Michael Jordan in person. Another friend wanted to go cave diving uh, in some obscure, I don't even know where. Another friend wanted to go skydiving. Another um, friend wanted to travel, and for me... Being the ultimate risk taker that I am, I wanted to build some furniture. Um, I wanted to build something that I can keep for a long time, that I can look back and say, hey, I built that before I turned 30, and I'm keeping that for the rest of my life. And in, in a way, my friends and I, we were trying to make the most of our last maybe year, year and a half of, of our 20s. And I think it's a common feeling, common experience to want to make the most of something, maximize the benefit of something. So, you know, for you working folks, you, you earn your paychecks. You, you work hard for that money. What's the best use of that? Is it to go, go on vacation? Is it to buy a gadget? Is it to, I don't know, take your significant other on, on a nice dinner? And even about a month ago, a, a lot of Cornerstoners graduated from college and grad school, and they wanted to maximize their time in Boston, their remaining days. So some people had these Boston bucket lists of going to Fenway and spending their last few minutes or days with their friends before they all scatter. It's a, it's a common experience. And on, on this thought, I thought of the phrase or hashtag YOLO. Uh, I feel very uncomfortable talking about this because it's like so beyond me. Uh, I, was, I was looking up the hashtag YOLO on Twitter yesterday and I swear like these junior high school kids walked beside, behind me and they were like, where is he guy? Like he's researching YOLO? <laughs> and I did, I did. I was researching YOLO. The, the, the fact is YOLO is an old idea. It's the same idea as Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. And if you haven't watched Dead Poet Society, please watch it. I'm not like Eugene. I won't ruin the movie for you, but I'm going to say watch it. It's, it's an excellent movie. And 
Seize the day, essentially, it means live life to the fullest. Live life to the fullest. But our culture doesn't know what that means, what, what it means to live life to the fullest. Because when I looked up YOLO, I'll read some of these tweets that were terrible grammatically, by the way. I just drank a whole milkshake and remembered I'm lactose intolerant. YOLO. <laughs> Popping wheelies in my wheelchair. YOLO. And on Friday, you know, we got hit hard with a storm. Riding in an open vehicle during a storm. YOLO. I think this was a junior high school girl. Failed math this year. Oops. YOLO. This is a little more serious. People will judge you regardless. Might as well go down doing what you want. YOLO. And here's one just for fun. Um, just laugh, even if you don't understand it. The account's name is Ash Ketchum. Walking in the tall grass without a Pokemon. YOLO. Thank you. Thank you for entertaining me. I'm sure some of you are like, what the heck is going on? But YOLO, which, means, which stands for you only live once, you only live once, has become this excuse to not care, to do what you want, to not pay for the consequences of what you're doing. It's an excuse to do something stupid. And I, I think it's because our society has lost the idea, the, the understanding of a deeper deeper purpose in life. And that's where, where we come to Ecclesiastes. The King Solomon, he was one of the wealthiest, one of the wisest people who existed during his time. And what does he do? He pursues a full life in every way possible. He starts by looking for pleasure in every possible way. He looks for wealth. He looks for honor, fame. He even does it by working honestly, a hard-working man. That's what he wanted to do and see if it was fulfilling. And what does he say that we've heard for the past three weeks? Everything is meaningless or vanity. And the word that Danny explained to us in the opening, opening sermon of this series is that that word meaningless or vanity is the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel. And um, he kept saying poof, right? Poof, it's a vapor. It's, it's a puff of air. It doesn't last. It's fleeting. Solomon pursues any possible endeavor to fulfill his heart, fulfill his life, and he comes down to the same conclusion. It's all hevel. It's fleeting. It's meaningless. But we come to, towards the end of the book today, in chapter 11, and it sort of gets optimistic. You know, Eugene said last week, Ecclesiastes is pessimism with a twist. If ever he's optimistic, it might be in this passage. So if we could turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have it up here. Uh, if you are writing notes today, you can title my sermon <laughs> YOLO version 2.0 or YOLO redeemed. And that's what I want to do to, to help us understand in Solomon's endeavors what the deeper meaning is and what can really anchor us during this time. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 to 10. Let's read it together. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. So hopefully you were able to see there's like these upswings and then he'll bring you right back down into reality. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we come before you and we pray that it is your voice we hear today, not mine. Today we we pray that it's your spirit that moves and not our own volition, not our own decision making, but that you would cause us to come into contact with who you are, what you've done, and what you will do. And overwhelm us, God. We, we want to just be floored by who you are. And that's, that's the only basis, the only way we can be transformed. So we, we come before you desperately. We're asking you to do the work that's necessary in each and every one of us. Lord, I don't know everyone in this room, but you do. You know what uh, victories they have and what failures they have, what, what problems and what um, just what they're experiencing, Lord. Once you meet them where they are, and remind them, show them, help them experience that you are their God. So, Lord, we thank you, we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is Ecclesiastes so relevant? It's because Solomon tries out all these things, and he realizes life is frustrating, it's complicated, it is difficult. Even in his own pursuits, And on top of that, he realizes that there are external factors that make life life even more difficult, if that's grammatically correct. He sees evil. He sees injustice. He sees loneliness. He sees good people suffering and evil people prospering. And that's why Solomon keeps saying, meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, hevel, hevel. And today, a lot of us are frustrated in some area of our lives. And even as believers, we are frustrated. It's hard to live a Christian life. So how do we, how do we live with purposeful, fulfilling lives? And in the tweets that I read earlier, YOLO came way at the end, right? Like, I'm doing something stupid, YOLO. This is what happened to me, YOLO. I think biblically in this passage, it's the other way around. It's YOLO, you only live once, therefore, what I'm going to preach on. And the first first thing, because we only live once, we must be thankful. Because we live only once, we must be thankful for our lives. In verse, verses 7 to 9, Solomon 
gets really optimistic. He says, light is sweet. And it is pleasant for eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him rejoice. So being alive should be such a pleasant experience. It should be such a joyful experience. And then he brings us down to reality. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. The days that you'll be alive are much more, many more than the days that The days that you'll be dead are many more than the days that you'll be alive. But this is the first command. There's five commands in this this passage, and this is the first. Rejoice. Solomon says, gives practical advice. He says, rejoice. And even for Solomon, who has tried out all these things, he realizes that he cannot be a full-fledged pessimist. He sees life as a gift, as a present from the God who created the universe. And especially for us as believers, you know, many of us here are believers. We cannot be full-fledged pessimists. Yes, there's evil, there's broken and unfair things in this world that happen to us and happen to the people around us, happen to people in the world. But the fact that we're alive is still a gift. Our lives are still a gift to be treasured. And no matter how difficult your life is, how good it is, it's a gift from God, nothing that you've produced on your own. And I think one of Satan's greatest deceptions is to tell us, persuade us that there's something better out there, right? Our jobs, if we have a difficult person, difficult coworker, What's the first thing we want to do? We want to look for a different job, a different workplace. If our friends have backstabbed us, our friends are not like so-and-so's friends, we want to find a new group of friends. When the weather stinks in Boston, all you can think about is, oh, the weather in California. When you see things messed up in this very church, you ask yourself, should I go somewhere else? And I think that's Satan's way of taking out the gratitude, just like a drain, right? Drain plug in a tub, just yanking it and letting all the, the goodness that, that God wants to show to us, wants us to experience, wants us to understand. And once we believe in it, that plug is pulled out and we become noncommittal, we become dissatisfied. And I think that's why Satan loves to do that. He loves to say, hey, look at that person. Like His life is so much better than yours. Look at her. Her situation is, like in comparison to yours, awesome. And the most dangerous place that this happens is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of us, I'll put myself in that category, have stopped being amazed at being saved. You know, the, the truth, like, I once was lost, but now I'm found. It should shake us to the core. It should remind us where we were before, where God has brought us to, and where he's bringing us in the future. We've forgotten that we were miserable, lost, and dead sinners who were found, rescued, resuscitated, healed, cleaned, and declared righteous. 
Because this creator God, who doesn't really need us but loves us, sent his most prized possession, his most prized relationship in his own son to live the life that we should have lived and to die the punishment, the suffering that we should have endured. Every person here, if you're a believer, your life is a miracle. Do not take it for granted. You think your testimony is not good enough? You're undermining the work of God. You're undermining the cross. Are you thankful today? Yesterday I was talking to somebody and talking to this person about this idea of being thankful. And um, this, this brother, he said, you know, if someone took a bullet from me, it wouldn't be like, oh yeah, I'll talk to you later. It would be, hey, like, what do you need? What can I do for you? What, how can I express my gratitude to you? But that's, even that's an imperfect picture. Because not only did, did, did uh, Jesus die on the cross and miraculously come back to life, he gives us the gift of eternal life, of salvation, of grace, the, of the Holy Spirit. So on top of that guy who just took a bullet for you and survived, he gives you a gift that's beyond your means, that you could have never paid for on your own. And a lot of us, we go, oh yeah, that's a good story to tell, but I'm not friends with him no more. He writes me letters. Uh, they're sitting in a stack in the corner. God arranged and planned redemptive history so that you could be saved. Do you believe that your salvation is a miracle? And this is crucial, and I'm spending a lot of time here because what, ha- what follows is just, it should be natural. We must be grateful for where we are. Even if we, we feel like God is distant, the fact that you can breathe in, breathe out, and maintain a heartbeat is a gift from God. But I know, I know it's hard to be thankful, and Solomon knows it too. And that's, that's where he goes to the next commands in, in this passage. Oops, sorry. The next two commands, the next two imperatives in this passage are walk, but no. Walk, but no. Walk is typically the word used for just going and, and living. In, in Hebrew, it's, the, word, the verb walk means pretty much live. And what does Solomon say? He says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Pretty much he's saying, do what you want. And the, the, the connected verb here, the connected command is, but no. That for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. God will bring you to judgment. And that makes us very uncomfortable. In another translation, it's, it says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, but know that God will judge your motives and actions. God will n- judge your motives and actions. Every morning, uh, we wake up and we're faced with a multitude of decisions. This morning, you woke up and chose what to wear. That's, in a lot of ways, a great decision, right? Morally, it's not right or wrong, good or bad, unless you came here with the intent of like seducing somebody, it was a morally great decision. 
But on, on the flip side, if, let's say, right now I decided to stop preaching, go upstairs to the children's ministry, steal one of the kids' snacks or toys, that's more morally black and white. And God gives us that freedom to do as we please. When you walked into today, you chose to sit where you sat for whatever reason. Maybe you like the aisle because you want to slip out quickly. Maybe you like the sides because there's less light. I don't know. But it was a, a great decision that you made. You make decisions constantly throughout the day. What does Solomon focus on? He says we must be accountable to God in what we do. Accountable to God. In verse 9, that verb, but know, Solomon could have said, but remember, or but don't forget that God will judge you. But he uses the verb to know, and you might, you might have heard this here or somewhere else, but it's the verb yada, which is the same verb that is used when Adam knew Eve, and then they had a son, Cain. It's an intimate knowing. So in a lot of ways, Solomon is saying, make sure you know this. You could do whatever you want. You could live however you please. But yada this. Know this. That God will bring you into judgment for the way you live. We have to answer to God for the consistent overall pattern of our lives in relation to Him. And the bottom line isn't a perfect life. It's whether we've fought to make him God of our lives. In the overall scheme, overall pattern of our X number of years here on this earth, were we committed to trying to, fighting for him to be God of our lives. And this verse is essentially saying you can choose to submit to him now or be forced to submit later. The way you live is, is going to come out into examination. It's a final test. And Solomon is saying, here's an answer. Here's what's coming. Make sure you know this. And we try not to think about God as the judge. We don't want to think about God's wrath. We don't want to think about God hating sin because we realize how imperfect we are. And that scares us. That worries us. We just want to focus on the grace, mercy, love, hope, forgiveness that he has and ignore how much he hates injustice, how much he hates sin. And I believe part of the ungratefulness, you know, from the first point that we lack and have a hard time experiencing is because we have only gotten to know God halfway. We just want the good parts of him. But what about this other side of him, who, this God who is immense, who is just so beyond us, so great, so unimaginable? Does God still sweep you off your feet and blow you away? Do you get to places when you're like, God, who the heck are you? What the heck are you doing? And we have only been interested in a certain picture of God that fits into some sort of container. And maybe it's more accurately like a genie bottle where we can store him, put him aside, and go to him when we need something. 
But the God that Solomon is talking about is this, this crazy, just, you don't even understand him. And he's going he's gonna to show it over and over. But this gets me to just the last point where I just want to get more practical. And the fact that we don't know God means that we must be faithful in light of the ultimate reality. We must be faithful in light of the ultimate reality. And what do, do I, what do I mean by ultimate reality? I mean who God is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. That's the ultimate reality that Solomon is talking about too. Because he says wealth, money, uh, wealth, money, same thing. Wealth, honor, fame, pleasure, all pointless, meaningless. But repeatedly in Ecclesiastes, he says there's one thing. You must know. You must acknowledge. And Proverbs, we're going to look at Proverbs next. This is also written by Solomon. But in the beginning of the book, what does he say? He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And earlier, we read this last week when Eugene preached. Ecclesiastes 5. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Paraphrase, know your role. Therefore, let your words be few. And just shortly later, he says, God is the one you must fear. You must fear him. And it doesn't register in our heads because when we think about fear, it's unpleasant, it's rattling, it it takes us off our bearings. But the fear that the Bible talks about is understanding Just how different God is. How holy, powerful, majestic, glorious He is. Do we come in here expecting the same God to come in? Or do we want to see another side of Him? You know, earlier this morning I was praying with the prayer ministry. And I don't know what it was, but God put this image of Moses wanting to see God's glory. And in Exodus 33, I think. And... What does God say? He says, if you see my like, front side, like, pretty much you're going to be like, incinerated. You're going to be, be like, turned into like, like millions of mole- molecules and you'll no longer ex- exist. But if you want to see my glory, this is what I'll do. You've got to hide in a, a crack in the mountain. I'm going to cover you with my hand. And at the last moment, you're going to see pretty much, I mean, this might be irre- irreverent, but you're going to see my butt, you know, like my backside. But that was enough for Moses to come back transformed. He was emanating light physically. Do we think of God in that way or are we so used to him? Oh yeah, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this weather. Or do we have testimonies of him just doing things beyond our comprehension, beyond our power? God is far greater than anything you can imagine, anything you could dream of, and we shouldn't expect to understand God. And that bothers us. We shouldn't expect to understand God. And it's in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3. He has made everything. God has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. You know those questions that you have? You're probably not going to figure them out. Ecclesiastes 8. 
he's talking to himself about himself. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God and that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. No matter how much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And even in this, this chapter earlier, before the verses that we read, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You can't even figure out the things that are right in front of you. How a woman gets pregnant and a life exists within her womb. In that way, you do not know what God is doing. And this is where I'm going to just rattle just some of you. And some of you have been idle in your relationship with God because you've demanded answers for certain aspects, certain areas, certain situations, certain moments, maybe moments of tragedy that he has not answered to. And you've closed yourself off to him, saying, God, I need to know, you need to tell me, I need to understand now. But in, in, in that sense, you've kind of switched the roles, and you, you're saying, I'm God, I, it needs to make sense to me, and I need to be in control. But rather, it should be, you're God. I don't know what's going on, but you do. God has given us the Bible, and we are in wisdom literature. And the funny thing is, Solomon doesn't say, do X, Y, and Z, and you'll be a wise person. He says, fear God. That's the basic principle for your life, and you'll be a wise person, no matter what happens in your life. Your specific situation is not in the Bible, most likely. The fact that you're in Boston, you know, it doesn't mention Boston. The fact that you're born into a particular family is not going to be in here. But the principle is to fear God. He is so far beyond our understanding, but He is so far in control than we could ever understand. And God has shared enough about Himself in Scripture for us to be faithful. And so that's why when I say the ultimate reality is who God is, what he's done, and what he will do, we have to be faithful. He has an awesome track record. Awesome track record, amen? He is not going to fail you, even though you think it, even though you feel it, even though every sign points to him not coming through. So the last two commands that Solomon gives are actually very practical. He says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. That, that word remove, I was looking it up in, in, in a dictionary and yeah, all the definitions, they look similar. Turn aside. Um, yeah, like remove. And then this last one really caught my eye. It says, apostatize. Apostasy is to defect, right? To say, I no longer 
am part of that group, I no longer believe in what that group thinks, what that group believes. So those vexations, those confusing things in your life, those weird enigmas that you're facing, defect and say, I don't need to know everything. God is in control. And then secondly, put away, put away pain in your body. The verb put away can also mean pass over or pass through. And that word pain is actually the word for evil. So it's pretty all-encompassing, like evil, pain, injury. Put these things away is kind of weird for us to understand, but my paraphrase would be to, is to say this, go through or overcome whatever pain it is, physical, spiritual, emotional, in a way that rejoices. In the same way, remove vexations, defect from those confusing things and the need to, to be in control. Defect to that and say, I will still rejoice. It's natural for us to ex- expect vexation. It's not a common word we use. Vexation and pain in our lives. When we are in situations that don't make sense. And typically we're paralyzed. We don't want to do anything. We are, we are stuck. And we don't know the next course of action when we are vexated or when we are in pain. So the question Solomon is asking here is like, what will you do when you're in that situation? Will you just maintain status quo or will you really seek out the greater purpose despite the confusion, the frustration, the irritation that you experience? Earlier, um, before the passage we read, after Solomon gives us a good slap in the face and saying, you don't know what happens in the womb of a pregnant woman, He says, in the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. He says, you know what? You can't even predict the future. If you're a farmer, you you don't even know when the rain's going to come, when drought's going to come, when the sun will rise, when the sun will set. But Solomon says, keep sowing the seed. Keep sowing the seed. Do you believe that God is trustworthy? Maybe even more basic, do you believe that He's your God? If He's your God, you have to believe that He's trustworthy because He saved you without you doing anything, without you proving anything to Him. He loves you so much, He, brought, he knows exactly where you are. He cares about where, where you are right now. Will you believe that He's trustworthy? And this is where I wrestled the most. I'll share a like, more personal story. Um, this week, <laughs> as I was like, pre- trying to prepare this message, uh, like, hopefully this isn't discouraging, but I struggled a lot with feeling cursed by God. Certain situations in my life where I felt like I didn't need to go through that were unfair to me, that um, when I look at the people around me, they're not going through it. Like, why 
Why me, God? And you who know me might think it's one situation, but it's not. Uh, It's multiple. (laughs) Uh, No, I've been, like, really wrestling with God and, like, asking him, like, did I do something wrong? Like, where, like, what is it that I screwed up to deserve this? And if I think that my spiritual well-being is so contingent upon what I do or what I don't do, even though my salvation was totally not contingent upon that, I've lost sight of the gospel. The gospel says, wherever you are, whoever, you know, like, however you came in here, God loves you. God knows you, and God is with you. And this made me think about Job. Um, and this is an old praise song. I don't even know if 90% of you will know this. It's called Job's Song. And I'm going to read just uh, the verses. Been broken, put through, put through the fire, felt the heat melt all my strength away. Felt so lonely, I felt so abandoned. Where is God? I heard my little voice say. Lord, I know this world isn't easy, but I know that you never promised no pain. Trials will come and trials will test me, but help me, Lord. It's hard to see them as gain. I forgot that you're right beside me. Let me know that you're with me through the length. And though I'm weak, Lord, this is my prayer. Through my weakness, Lord, please be my strength. Job went through what he did. He pretty much got everything taken out right under him, right? The the rug was yanked out. He suffered physically, emotionally. He lost family members. Not because he did anything wrong. He was actually faithful. And what does God say? He says, test Job and see if he doesn't cling to me. Some of you are facing difficulties right now. Will you trust God? Moreover, are you thankful? Are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful to be alive today? Are you thankful that you're able to sit here and I hope that I preach the gospel message to you that God loves you unconditionally no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done and he's willing to help you with everything else. So I'm pleading with you today, YOLO. (laughs) Be thankful, be accountable, and be faithful. You live only once. You want the most meaningful life? Be thankful, be accountable, and be faithful. A wise person doesn't know everything and understand everything. A wise person knows, trusts, and loves the God who is in absolute control over everything. Let's believe that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I I just want to cover my brothers and sisters here with uh, prayer.
And Lord, if I set anything apart from what pleases you, that you would forgive me, and you would only come uh, and bring into remembrance the things that, that need to be remembered, that the truth of who you are, what you've done, and what you will do would linger in our minds and, and cause us to reflect, cause us to be thankful. And I pray specifically for those here who are struggling, who are battling to be thankful. It seems that you've abandoned us. It's, it feels that we're all alone. It feels that we're struggling and in pain by ourselves. But we want to proclaim the truths of Scripture that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing. So God, I pray that you would meet with every person here. Help them not just know it in their heads, but experience it, yada it, that you love them, you care for them. And make us people who are thankful, accountable, and faithful to you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.